0: In case you missed it, I wrote a book, like a full-blown cover-to-back book, Confessions of a Crappy Christian. The book is real life talk about the things Christians aren't sure they're supposed to say. It's like the podcast and my Instagram times a thousand. So you can find out more and pre-order if you would like at crappychristianco.com/book. Pre-orders matter a lot in the book world and we have some awesome incentives coming your way, so that would really mean the world. Welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Crappy Christian, a Misfit Media Network production. I am your host and resident crappy Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap, and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones, and tune out your kids, and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Ian, welcome to Confessions of a Crappy Christian. Blake, I'm so glad to be here. This is quite the full circle moment for me. Your book has been referred to many a time on this podcast and on my Instagram. I told you before I started recording your book, God used your book to change my life and save my marriage. And I'm not going to lie, I was like a little bit nervous and I don't really get nervous anymore. I've been doing this for three and a half years, but very excited to have you on the show.
1: Well, I'm, I'm thrilled and I'm, I'm really grateful that the Enneagram has been instrumental in your own life and in your marriage. It's yes. wonderful.
0: Absolutely. So we're going to start out just giving a quick high level overview of the Enneagram. I think most people listening are familiar with it at this point, but just in case somebody is jumping in listening for the first time today, it's nine types. So you, it's difficult to give a cliff notes version of that, but if anybody can do that, it's you.
1: Okay, well, let's just tell folks what it is. The Enneagram is this uh, ancient personality typing system. It teaches that there are nine basic personality styles in the world, one of which we gravitate toward and adopt in childhood as a way to cope, to protect ourselves, to feel safe. Really importantly, each type has an underlying unconscious motivation that powerfully influences how that type habitually and predictably acts, thinks, and feels from moment to moment. Mm -hmm. So uh, type ones are called the improvers. And these folks are ethical, they're meticulous, they're detail oriented, they're analytical, and they're often morally heroic people who are motivated by a need to perfect themselves, others and the world. The story they tell themselves really is that if I don't accomplish these things, I won't have a sense of control and love Mm -hmm. in the world. Mm -hmm. Type twos are called the helpers. They're warm, they're caring, they're giving. The story they tell themselves is that they're unworthy of love unless they meet the needs of others. And so they're motivated by a need to be needed and to to avoid acknowledging their own needs. Type three, the performer, success-oriented, image-conscious, wired for productivity. You know, these folks uh, see a world in which you can't be loved for who you are, but only for what you do and accomplish. Now, that's a really broken story, isn't Mm -hmm. it? So they're motivated by a need to succeed, to appear successful, and to avoid failure at all costs. Type fours, let's just face it, Jesus was a four. Let's move (laughs) on to fives. (laughs) Yes, I am a four. We are called the romantics. And the broken story that imprisons us is this belief that we are missing something essential in our core makeup without which we will never know belonging wholeness or happiness in, in this life and and so we're motivated therefore by a need to be special and unique to compensate for the missing piece in our essential makeup. Type fives, the investigators, they're analytical, they're detached, they're private. And they're motivated by a need to gain knowledge, to conserve energy, and to avoid relying on others. And so the broken story they tell themselves is that we live in this overwhelming, chaotic world where that places more demands on us than we're able to satisfy, particularly in the relational sphere. Sixes are called the loyalists. They're committed. They're practical. They're witty. They're earthy. But man, they've got a broken story. Uh, the story they tell themselves is that uh, the world is a dangerous place in which they have to always prepare for the next catastrophe. And so they're motivated by fear and a need for security and safety and support. Type sevens, oh, the joy bombs of the Enneagram. They're called the enthusiast, fun, spontaneous, adventurous. The problem is their broken story is that they believe that they cannot endure pain and suffering in the emotional and psychological or situational realm. And so they're motivated by a need to be happy, to plan stimulating experiences, to live thinking about a future filled with unlimited options and to avoid pain. Type eight. So you ready, Blake? <laughs> Here we go. Commanding, intense, uh, confrontational. My mother is an eight. She likes to say she's 93 and she smoked for 75 years. She likes to say, I could start an argument in an empty house. 100%. (laughs) You see, but your broken story is centered around this mistaken belief that we live in a dog-eat-dog world where the weak get taken advantage of and the powerful are the ones who take advantage of others, right? And so they make this promise to themselves as little kids that I'm just not going to be weak. I am not going to be taken advantage of. And so you're motivated by a need to assert strength and power over the environment and others to mask tender and vulnerable feelings. Nines are called the, the peacemakers, we call them the sweethearts of the Enneagram. They're pleasant, they're laid back, they're accommodating. But the broken story they tell themselves really is that their presence really doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And sometimes nines will push back against that. But if they dig deep, they'll see it. In order to keep the peace, peace inside and outside, Mm -hmm. they have to merge with others and avoid conflict as much as possible. Now, by the way, what is your husband on the Enneagram? He's
0: a one with a very strong nine wing.
1: Okay. (laughs) It's eights and ones. Okay. Yeah.
0: It's an interesting match for sure. I mean, we are fire and ice. He is, this is right. And I'm like, but this is effective or safer or stronger. But we actually, we celebrate 10 years this year and we're we're figuring it out. We're still figuring it out for sure. <laughs> so you wrote The Road Back to You, which I don't think I said earlier. I think I just said your book, but you wrote The Road Back to You. I mean, you've written multiple books, but your new one the story of you and Enneagram Journey to Becoming Your True Self just came out a few months ago. Congratulations. Thank you. Makes the connection between our childhood narrative, and, which you've touched on for each type, and how we walk through or experience or the stories we tell ourselves as an adult. Can you kind of explain what that means and make that connection for people?
1: Sure. So let's get something clear right at the outset. Okay. That all nine of these personality styles are rooted in a story. We tell ourselves and others about who we are and how we think the world works. Mm -hmm. The problem is we form these stories in childhood to make sense of our experiences. And those, I like to call them the thousands of little muggings, Mm. you know, that we experience as little people, right? Yeah. And I know that they're broken for this very simple reason, the underlying motivation or the story of each of them runs contrary to the story of grace.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: Where does it say in, in our sacred text that you have to be perfect in order to realize control and love? Where does it say that You have to meet the needs of others and disavow your own in order to win love. You know, I could go all through all nine of them. These are broken stories. And you can't become who you are as long as you continue to live in a story you crafted in childhood to make sense of the world. If you drag it into adulthood and continue to live in it, it will make a mess of your life. Mm -hmm. So, for example, for you as an eight, I, I don't know the arc of your story as a little person, but you picked up and internalized the message that, hey, it's rough out there, people. Mm-hmm. And you got to power up and you got to get tough and you got to put up a defense system uh, that can intimidate and uh, power up on people and situations to feel safe. And now that helped you as a little kid. Right. Big time. But if you continue to live unconsciously with that story, living in the same story as an adult, it will screw the pooch.
0: Oh, absolutely. And it'll just, dis- I think a lot large- in this conversation with other people, how much carrying that out disables you from engaging with the world, from being in relationships. You know, my story, is- I was bullied pretty relently- relentlessly, which I realize that's a buzzword, but it was to the point my parents had to pull me from school as a kid. And so I can very much go back and be like, boink, like there it is. <laughs> like there's the eight being born or whatever. But I definitely still as an adult will wrestle with not everybody's out to get you. Everybody's not trying to bully you. Like, you know, like there is good in the world and, and people are trustworthy in, in those kinds of conversations. And I know one of the things you talk about is that it doesn't even necessarily have to be quote unquote, traumatic or bad, or, you know, I, I did have a, a really incredible childhood. My parents are, I don't even know how many years they are celebrated this year. I think 30 something. They love Jesus. They were paying attention enough to pull me out of a school that wasn't the right fit for me, but I still heard gathered these narratives. So if someone's looking at their life and their story and saying, well, it's not bad, it's not traumatic, but they're still living out this thing that doesn't, like you said, line up with grace. What's your answer to that?
1: Well, first of all, I don't care how charmed a childhood you've had, you live in a broken world. Exactly. Right. And sometimes people will say that, and it's actually resistance to looking at the truth of the past. 100%. 100%. Yeah, you know they they'll tell me you know you know it was essentially the most beautiful childhood you know like on a swing in the backyard with my grandpa you know and it's like okay yeah that's wonderful but we don't get out of here without scars I I like to say all of us at some level are recovering children Mm -hmm. yeah wow and so and it's impossible not to inhabit a narrative we understand our lives as a story right. Right. And how many times you heard somebody say, Oh, I love this record. It's the soundtrack to my life. Yeah. Or I'm in a new chapter right now. Or I've turned the page on that relationship. I mean, we even use a language of story to describe our experience in the world. Now, there is no way a human being lived a a story in childhood that was completely generative that didn't include wounding, right. that didn't include genetics, right? That, you know? And so we get to exhume and examine these old stories so that we can live into a richer, grace-filled, courageous story that's truer to who we are as adults now that the threats of early childhood are behind us. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, and as a parent myself, right? I'm not trying to mess up my kids, right? I always say, like my kids are going to end up on a therapist's couch one way or the other. I hope I'm like a smaller part of that reason than a bigger. But, yes, I mean, they're absolutely, even with the most idyllic parents and the most in a, in a great childhood, there's still things that my parents did that caused wounds and false stories, and the same is going to go for my children. But that's kind of that's where Jesus comes in, right? Like That's the yeah. beautiful part of getting to, as an adult reclaim and rewrite that narrative.
1: Yeah, so I would just tell you, this is what's so important for listeners to hear. The childhood story that you tell yourself about who you are, eventually becomes who you are. Mm. It becomes your identity. Your identity organizes itself around these broken stories. And until you can identify and recognize them, You can't begin to rewrite them, which is really the aim of the story of you, the new Mm. book, right? It's all about how do I identify and then rewrite the story? Because guess what? You are the co-creator of your story. Yeah. God has imbued you with the power of the narrator. Yeah. You know, you get to rewrite it in a new way in, in adulthood. And I'm telling you, I've done this with so many clients and so many friends I've had so many people look at me like I invented fire. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like when they, when I tell them, you know, you're not stuck in this story. You tell yourself, right. Right. Like you can get out of this. They look at me like, I can, I yeah. just never occurred to me that I could do anything about the cars that were dealt to me.
0: Right. Do you have people push back? Like, no, I can't, you
1: know, not very often. Yeah. Um, some, some people will tell me this is going to be really hard. Right. And I say, you are dang right it's gonna be hard because these stories are deeply, deeply embedded in our brains, You know, in our neural pathways. You know, We default to these old stories. And it's hard because once you discard the old story, you might start to ask yourself, well, who will I be without it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, who am I gonna be without this story? Even though it hurts me, who am I gonna be if I let it go? And so I'm like, Trust me, you can do this. I've, I've seen people do it and it's a, the outcome is so beautiful.
0: So if you're like me and you struggle with any combination of stress and anxiety or being on your phone too much maybe even, I wanna tell you about the Abide app. I love this app. Abide is the number one Christian meditation app in the App Store and I've legit been using it for years now to help me fall asleep, to ease me into the day in the morning. I've even used it like mid panic attack. (laughs) So it's based on scripture and it's audio meditations that center you and help draw you closer to Christ. So for a limited time, our listeners will get 25% off of a premium subscription when you visit abide.co slash Blake. So you can get started today with 25% off of a premium subscription by downloading the app. At Abide.co slash Blake. There you'll get additional stories and meditations, premium music, soothing sounds, and more. And in the meantime, you'll be supporting the show and get 25% off when you go to abide.co slash Blake. That's A-B-I-D-E dot C-O slash Blake to download the Abide app and get 25% off your premium subscription. Okay, let's get back to the show. What does that look like for you? I mean, if you had to rewrite your four,
1: which means you're very
0: introspective and aware. What does that look like for you?
1: So I grew up in a terrible alcoholic home. My father was a drug addict. He was an alcoholic. He eventually died from drinking and drugs. He was abusive emotionally, physically. There's sexual abuse in my background. I, too, eventually became an alcoholic and a drug addict, ironically, to deal with my father's alcoholism and drug addiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like the pain of that experience. It's like, you know, it doesn't make sense, but it's how it rolls. You know, when I was 28, I came into a 12-step recovery program for addicts, and I got a sponsor, and he was a Jungian analyst, right, a psychologist, and he was an Episcopal priest. He was a wonderful, wonderful 70-year-old guy. And he asked me one night to speak at one of these 12-step recovery meetings just to tell my story, which is something that sometimes happens at meetings. And I did. And it was the saddest butt story you have ever heard. And it was kind of true. You know, I spoke about how I always felt like I never fit. I couldn't bring kids into my house. I just, you know, it was like you could find my dad on the floor, passed out. You right. know, uh, he could be belligerent toward mm-hmm. my friends, you know. And so I, I grew up feeling like there was just, there must be something missing inside me because if there wasn't, why wouldn't my dad love me? Mm. You know, wouldn't my dad stop drinking? If there, you know, there must be something broken in me. There is the old four story, right? There's the four story. Now, in a way that served me as a little kid, it just made sense of my experience. And it was a sucky story, but it helped me. Right. But I, I brought that story into adulthood. And you can imagine well i've already explained the addiction and alcoholism was i mean just one bump in the road right of how that story began to hurt my life now i did go through a process of really examining and interrogating questioning that old story until i found a tremendous healing in rewriting it you know because my sponsor once said to me, this is what launched me on the journey. He said to me, Ian, after hearing me speak, he said, Ian, do you ever wonder if the story you tell yourself about who you are isn't true? And Man, that started me on this journey of, wait a minute, I don't have to live stuck in that old story that I've identified with. I don't have to be governed by those mistaken beliefs about myself. But it took some effort and work, and so in the story of you, what I've tried to do is make it simpler for people than it was for me.
0: Yeah, I think every single person that's listening can map that out themselves as they listen. Their story may not, and experience may not have been the same, but and and I've loved the enneagram for a long time, and I don't know that I've ever like made it linear, like made it make sense. Where like you have the these experiences, and you tell yourself a story that kind of keeps you afloat it's not necessarily a bad thing, but if you wrap your identity around that and your experience with the world and other people, it's just going to be really empty.
1: Yeah. So, you know, we all know uh, improvers, uh, sometimes called the perfectionists, and they bring this belief that they have to be perfect. They have to perfect others in the world in order to find love, to come to the belief that they can have mastery over the environment and then they bring that idea into adulthood mm. and man oh man we all know these people don't we and it well you're married to a one right <laughs> yeah and, and if you bring that old story into adulthood that i have to be right all the time i can't make mistakes uh, i i need to be a black or white thinker things are not never either or I'm, you know, my way is the only way. You bring those messages into adulthood from childhood, big trouble.
0: Yeah. We have actually, we just recently started talking about this publicly when we kind of share marital stuff together that we not long ago had to have the conversation that he was constantly correcting me about everything. And I was like, unless I am headed for disaster, destruction, or I'm going to hurt somebody else, I don't need to know that i was off by a fraction of a number i love you and it occurred to him that he thought he was helping like he thought it was wrong for me to not know what was right when in reality it was just really annoying like right
1: annoying yeah it can be tough and and i could have gone to any number not just ones like uh the dynamic is the same but first of all have compassion because that's a story he picked up in childhood yes. about how to find love, Yes. right? And I think the journey for couples is the two of them knowing each other's stories. How did this start? And then helping them each other begin to deconstruct the old story to replace it with a new one.
0: That is extraordinarily difficult. Just the t- 11 years that we have been together There have been so many situations for both of us of, it's almost like they get the opportunity to see their childhood through a different lens, not the one that they have acquired over time. There's so many things that we have for one another pointed out and said, that's not okay. Or that's not love. You learned to adapt to that, but parents don't speak to children that way. Or for my husband, a lot of the time he had to be the adult. And so when, and I said at the beginning that how much understanding the Enneagram made such an impact for our marriage, I think it's that you stop just annoying one another (laughs) with your isms and how different you are. And for us, it was, oh, that's why you do that. When he corrects me, he's not trying to be annoying because he really does love me and is a really wonderful man. He has learned over time that if something is wrong, not correcting it means you don't love that person. In reality, I'm like, you would love me much better if you would just let me be off by a couple of degrees and it'll be okay.
1: But, you know, there's a four-stage journey in the story of you that helps people begin the journey of rewriting their story. And one of those is the O, of the acronym is S-O-A-R, SOAR. And part of it is owning, that's step two. And he also has to own the dark side of that. It's not just that he thinks that he's doing that to be loving it's also because sometimes Enneagram ones thirst for superiority. Yeah. I'm better than you. Yeah. I know, I know more than you. And I'm here to teach you. And of course, that's one of many things in their journey that causes problems in adulthood, right? right. It, you just sear all kinds of relationships when that becomes your way of working and moving through.
0: No, absolutely. Can you walk us through SOAR?
1: Sure. For each type, I sort of describe a journey. The first is to see the story. Like a lot of people have never seen the story of their life this way. And so the Enneagram gives you nine stories, you know? So I say, go through them, figure out which one is yours, which is the same thing as figuring out your type. Right. And see it, name it, explore it, you know? And I'd encourage people to take 350 words. That's one page, write it down. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, share it with somebody, share that story with somebody else. Get feedback, Get feedback, you know, ponder it, contemplate it, add to it. Trust me, you will add to it. <laughs> this, happened. this, this happened, that happened. This message. I picked this message up and internalized it. I didn't know I was doing that, but I did, etc. Then the second step is to own it. And I just mentioned that. I think part of owning is, all right, what does this cost me? Mm. It's cost me 3000 arguments with my partner it's, it's caused me, you know, perhaps it cost me a job or a promotion at some time in my life. Maybe uh, it has it, all these broken stories have a cost. Mm -hmm. If you're living in a story, that's in opposition to God's grace, you will bang guardrail to guardrail through your life. Absolutely. So you got to own it. Like, yeah, this is my stuff. You know, yeah, I gotta, I gotta own it. So the third step is to awaken. It's actually to begin to recognize when the old story has control of mm. you. So let me just tell you a, can I tell you a quick story? Absolutely. Okay, it's Easter Sunday two years ago, and I was uh, as a volunteer priest at a local parish. I was invited to be on the altar and do some things, right? And they're packed house. There's a guy in the front row with his son. They're both wearing seersucker suits identical suits with identical bow ties and his dad's got his arm around the kid and you know it was just perfection right what do you think an enneagram four who struggles with envy Mm. did the the old story launched and i was like gee i wish i'd had a dad like that why didn't i Did, did god hate me did you know what i mean was it and the story launched And suddenly I awakened because I've done enough work to know when this old story has taken grip. And I went, Ian, it's Easter. (laughs) Christ, the Lord is risen today, brother. Like, yeah, you don't have this is an old story, man. You are a beloved child of God. Yes, Yes, you had a crappy father, but that doesn't that's no commentary on you. We have given up that old story now. Yeah. So that's it for that. A rewriting is making a very conscious journey of saying, well, who am I now? What old beliefs do I need to let go of? Mm-hmm. What, what new beliefs do I need to uh, take on board and begin to live by? What is the new story for me? And of course, I go into detail about each of these. Right. That's kind of an overview of it.
0: Well, and you're giving people their power back. I love what you yes. said about that you're a co-author. Like there are some people who are, are going to hear that and be like, no, God is the only author I'm like, but he's, God's really cool and he likes us and he wants us to like ourselves. And I think it brings him joy to walk through this with his kids to unpack. He knew we were going to be born into a broken world that was going to tell us a broken story. And I feel like he loves this. I get in quite a few, I know this is going to be shocking. <laughs> back and forth with people about Christians and the Enneagram. I can't have had the experience that I have had and believe that God hates what this does and the power that it gives people back and the freedom that it allows them to experience and the life that it breathes, breathes into your relationships. That's just me though. (laughs) (laughs) This is my opinion on it.
1: That's right. This is the eighth saying, you know, periodically I get into debates with (laughs) other people. Shocking. Yes. Now, listen, you're using a pair of scissors. It's got two blades, right? Which one does all the work? Hmm. I don't know. Does God, you know, me, God, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, Now, I do believe that grace is the most powerful force in the universe. Amen. And God can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. But there is science, some kind of cooperative, I don't want to say effort, but some kind of cooperative journey of rewriting the old story. I mean, I, we don't just sit around and not work on self-improvement, right? Right. But we, we can do it prayerfully and invite God into the process. Yes. At that point, I, I don't know which blade does the most work. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me.
0: I love that. So I have one last question, and you kind of alluded to this at the beginning. Do you think Jesus had an Enneagram number?
1: Okay, so I will tell you that about four years ago, the two things I was asked more often than not, and it was so predictable, it was crazy. People would ask me, what number is Donald Trump? And then they would ask me, what number is Jesus? Those were the two questions I got time and time again, right? And I'd be like, I don't know. (laughs) know, Right. I I can't see inside their hearts. You know, I don't i will say this i have a i can speculate
0: right absolutely that's all it is
1: so if you see, if you've ever seen the enneagram diagram the, the nine numbers go all the way around it right and in the middle though there's this interesting open white field in the actual middle and i think you could put a dot in the center of that field mm-hmm. and say that's where jesus lives. yeah you know these nine types Yes, they're broken stories, but they have beautiful aspects to them. Yes. And in fact, all nine of them represent some aspect of God's character in nature, right? Yeah. So, you know, I think, though, that Jesus was not overly attached to any one story. Right. But rather, he could pull the best from all of these types. Yeah. He embodies all nine types in a perfect way. And that, therefore he could draw on the resources and the best parts of each type to every moment so that he could do what love required of him in any given moment. Yeah. So there's my thing. Jesus, Jesus has no type.
0: No, that, I, I've always said that he's all nine and that, mm-hmm. but that we each get to be this really beautiful individual expression of him in each of them and people oversimplify it right at what is it at any given time you're attached to how many years one two three four five so it's so much more fluid than also trump is totally innate
1: i'm not talking about it
0: (laughs) (laughs) i like i've listened to the man talk enough and been like when i'm unhealthy that's what i sound like so
1: (laughs) you said it not me i don't talk politics
0: no it's fine and thank you so much for taking the time to share. You just are such a wealth of wisdom and knowledge, but you make it make sense. I think the Enneagram overwhelms some people and mm. can feel a little bit like diving in the deep end. And in the time that I have learned from you and read your books, you just make it make sense and you always bring it back to the gospel. And I'm very thankful for that. Mm. Where can people follow you? You have your own podcast, Tell people about all of that.
1: yeah. Where- Well, first of all, I want to encourage people to buy my new book, The Story of You. I know that's very self-promotional, but you know,
0: So I mean,
1: come on, (laughs) you don't write books to have no one read them. Exactly. So, yeah, it's called The Story of You, an Enneagram journey toward becoming your true self. I'm going to be honest with you and say, in many ways, I think it's the best book I've ever written. Really? Yeah, I do. And I really feel I'm so excited about people going on the journey of rewriting a broken story and turning it into a beautiful, true story. Yeah. Obviously my book, The Road Back to You, I have a couple of other books that can all be gotten at Amazon, walk into Barnes and Noble, blah, blah, blah. Right. (laughs) If people want to know their Enneagram type, they can go to my website, uh, which is, I'll just spell it, I-A-N-M-O-R-G-A-N-C-R-O-N.com. And they can take my IEQ9 test. You know, we have courses on there, we have, by the way, we have probably, I'm not sure when this drops, but in the next four to six weeks, we have an exciting, I'm so pumped for this, it's called the IEQ9 Couples Report. Ooh. Ooh. And so your husband and you could take that, an eight and a one, and then the results would come back and you would get a report on what your relationship is like, all the strengths and weaknesses, why conflict occurs, how to resolve it. I mean, it's just
0: so cool. Yeah.
1: I'm so excited about that at Ian Morgan Cron across all of my social channels. Yeah. So many exciting things uh, happening right now.
0: And your podcast is typography.
1: Oh my. Oh, it's called, <laughs> it, no, it's called typology.
0: Typology. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. And that's a cool project. We have now over 20 million downloads and it's a show on which we kind of examine the story of you through the lens of the Enneagram. We have lots of guests on that we speak to about their type and their life experience and the work they've done with the Enneagram and, you know, even outside of it. It can be very moving at times. It's really a really cool show.
0: I don't listen to very many podcasts because I have one and I love your show.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: And we're going to link to all of that in the show description so people can find you on social, get your books, take the